those patients also convert to treatment more readily. Just, you know, the, when, if the REI is only going to be at one of the visits, it's better to be the follow-up. It's yep. just, it's just what we say. I can't tell people from a clinical outcome one way or the other, what they should be doing. I'm just saying the people that are in that group convert to treatment more readily. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Breaking through the REI bottleneck with advanced providers. That's the topic that we're going to delve into on today's Inside Reproductive Health. To help me with that, I've got Tamara Tobias. You might know Tamara because she's a nurse practitioner supervisor at Seattle Reproductive Medicine, over 24 years of experience, and she's been very active in ASRM. Before I get into today's show, today's shout out goes to the NPG, the nurse professional group, the subgroup within ASRM, who does a lot of good programming that I think is relevant to today's topic. And because of that, I wanted to give them a shout out. In today's episode with Tamara, we talk about the role of the physician extender or advanced practice provider. If you're hip to the current nomenclature, how that started off their role, maybe 15, 20 years ago, how it's changed radically in the last five years, but really in the last year and how they are part of the key to us being able to see more new patients as a field move more people to treatment that need it and aren't stuck in the RAI bottleneck. And so we walk that line together, what those APPs should be doing and what really needs to be in the purview of the REI, because that's a subspecialty for a reason. And so Tamara gives you a lot of food for thought in this episode. If as a clinician, you have a differing point of view, you're welcome to come on the show. I'll tell you every time that I do a show that butts up with something that's clinical operations, my job is to get as many people to treatment as need it. And I could keep bringing new patients to clinics all over North America, but to the extent that we hit this bottleneck, there's got to be other solutions, which is why I'm interested in unpacking solutions like these. So if you have a differing point of view, you're welcome on the show. If not, sit back and listen to the point of view that Tamara gives us today. Ms. Tobias, Tamara, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you. Thank you, Griffin, for having me. It's my pleasure. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you because I'm looking forward to going down a topic that I think is inevitable. We were both talking about how some clinics have been so busy recently. And so I think the role of the physician extender or advanced provider, whichever nomenclature people use in their clinic, is going to be getting more and more involved in the coming years. And you being a nurse practitioner that's been in this field for a while, I would love to hear your perspective of just what the role of the nurse practitioner, and if you can speak to it also, the physician assistant was when you started, 
and then how it has changed if if that is in fact the case. Yes, be happy to. So when I started, they back back in 2004, they really weren't sure what to do with a nurse practitioner. And so I was actually hired on as the third party program coordinator. Just just bring up the third party. I think that's how a lot of nurse practitioners started as people thought, "Okay, can you develop our third party programs?" And really it has evolved so much in these last years where we're really utilizing the nurse practitioner's skills to its full extent. And so now by doing procedures and ultrasounds and seeing patients, and really I'm speaking of nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And I think the, the best term to utilize, which is more the term everybody is using across the country now is APP, which is advanced practice providers. So that includes your physician assistants, your nurse practitioners, and your nurse midwives. In reproductive medicine, there right now that the trend, there are more nurse practitioners than PAs. We did a survey with the nurses professional group about two years ago. And with that, we had about 30 respondents and there were 23 nurse practitioners at that time and about six PAs and one nurse midwife. But I see those numbers definitely growing. It seems seems to be the case that nurse practitioners outnumber PAs, at least from just our clients and people that we work with. So it started off with a third party role, and you still see a lot of NPs yes. in that yes. role. Absolutely. In fact, some clinics that are bringing on NPs for the first time are still having them do that first. That's like the first thing that they're doing. So how did it grow after that? Then what happened? You have to push. <laughs> They have to push their way to show them that they can do. And that was me being a little bug in their ear. It's like, I, yes, I can see these donors and bring on the third party, but I can see your recipients and I can do their ultrasounds and I can do that donor ultrasounds. And then they can see that if you're performing those well and you're, and you're doing a good job at ultrasounds and it opens up to more like, oh, sure. Maybe you can do more ultrasounds, follicular dynamics. And then it even evolves to doing OB scans. And then it becomes procedures. I think if you work in third party, they think, well, maybe you're doing ultrasounds now. You can do a saline sauna histogram, maybe on my recipient. Well, you do the saline sauna histogram is using an ultrasound, but then you could push a little bit more and say, well, I can do not only recipients, I could do your regular IVF patients. And now I can do office hysteroscopies and HSGs and hysterosalpingograms. And so you just, it's kind of just keep raising the the bar because you are practicing within your scope. And we'll talk a little bit more about scope in different states, but I think it's just letting those physicians realize the training and the background that you have and how you can apply those skills. So let's talk a little bit about that scope. How do we know that a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant is qualified to do those things that you said? Yes. So if you look at our training, if you look at federal law, it simply states a nurse practitioner needs to follow the training and the education based on your state. And that's where it gets tricky because every state has a different scope of practice. And for example, in Washington, we have a very broad scope of practice. So in Washington, we really, I really can provide care to my full education. So that's diagnosis, that's management, prescribing, and prescribing medications. Um, That's all within the scope of practice. That's Washington state. Now you have other states, for example, Michigan. Michigan, unfortunately, nurse practitioners there, they have to operate under their registered nursing license. 
And the only way they can apply for their skills, such as procedures or ultrasounds under supervision of a physician. But I think having said that, I think in reproductive medicine, we're so specialized that even if we're working in a restricted state and every state is so different, even if we're working in a restricted state, I think in reproductive medicine, almost all of us nurse practitioners or APPs, we are working and collaborating with a physician. And so if we're collaborating with a physician, then we should be able to apply um, all of those skills and be able to provide all of those services. So it really depends on the state medical board. That's who sets the scope for the APPs. It's the state. It's both the state medical board and or the, the board, the nursing board of that state and it's legislation in that state. So you're in Washington state and, and maybe you can't speak to Canada. It's okay if you don't have any cursory knowledge yeah, of that, but Canada. we have some Canadian re- re- listeners. Do you know any? Okay. Do, do you I know do. anything about the regulations in, in Canada with regard to APPs? I, not a lot. I do know there was an APP in Canada. She's fantastic. She's reached out to me, um, just reaching out to find out what I do in my practice. And so to see if she can um, start doing those things in her office. And so I'm always happy to share. I shared with her my orientation checklist that I have of every heck it includes all of not only procedures, but as well as consults that we do. And I shared that with her um, to see if she can start doing that in Canada. If we have any Canadian APPs that are listening and they know a little bit about the legislation and the regulations in different provinces, feel free to email me. We'll have you on the show. We'll do an entire episode about APPs in Canada. One thing you mentioned, Tamara, was procedures. And talk a little bit about that. Are we talking IUIs? What else are we talking about when you say that APPs? Yeah, procedures. So ultrasounds and ultrasounds can be ultrasound for follicle checks, your IVF, as well as OB scans, IUI, endometrial biopsies, uterine evaluations. The most of the uterine evaluations I do are office hysteroscopies, but we also provide HSGs as well as SISs, the salience on a histogram. We do biopsies for ERA when we're, we're looking at that endometrial scratches, which is kind of outdated now, but we can do that. A lot of physical exams on all your third parties. And then I would say the other thing I do a lot is problem visits. So um, those that are calling in, they have pelvic pain or they have cysts or they're bleeding, somebody that needs to be seen same day. And so that's a lot of what kind of what a day-to-day is. I want to come back to the problem visits because that ties into another subtopic that I want to address with you. One of the things that's involved with procedures that I hear people talk about is retrievals for IVF. Can an advanced provider do that? That is a surgery. And so advanced provider, I do not know of any in the United States that would do that, not necessarily in our scope because it is a surgical procedure. So again, within the scope of our nursing background, our focus was really wellness and education. We can diagnose and treat and do some procedures, but not necessarily a surgical procedure. Now I can't speak on that with a physician assistant because they may, there's physician assistants who do do some surgical um, procedures or assisting. And so that could be a possibility. Okay. That's an interesting distinction. Let's go back to the problem patients. Everybody loves the problem patients. Yes. And it seems like, oh, great. I'm an advanced provider. I'm the one that gets to deal with these problem calls, uh, problem visits. And 
what I'm wondering is how does it tie into one thing that physicians are really concerned about, which is what does the physician need to do? What does the physician really need to be present for? And some would say, well, absolutely. The, the high touch cases are the ones that the REI absolutely needs to be involved with. So what's the REI's purview with problem visits when there's a NP that's perfectly qualified to take care of at least some of them? I think we're all working together. And so when they, when these patients come in with problems and it could be hyperstimulation, I don't see as much as that anymore. I used to, unfortunately. So it'd be hyperstimulation. It may be an ectopic pregnancy. I just had a molar pregnancy. So I think the key point is the physician or the RE may be in a Zoom consult, right? And their schedule's packed and I might have a 15 minute opening in my schedule. So those patients come on. I'm doing that initial assessment. I'm doing that screening. I'm doing some blood work. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm doing the ultrasound, but I'm then collaborating with the physician. So I think it's important for all APPs and we all do this. We, we work very collaboratively with our physician and follow up appropriately. So depending on what I see, I may have to pull that physician in maybe during that consult and get in another opinion, or if I have a fetal demise, I might not, I want another set of eyes. I may say, I'm so sorry, I don't see a heartbeat, but I, that is such an emotionally charged moment that I definitely want to pull somebody in and just get another set of eyes. And so I'll do that. And so I, that's why I feel that even those problem visits, they're hard, they're very difficult because they're just added on your schedule, but you're not out there flying solo. You're definitely collaborating collaborating, but is the collaboration triage is the APP essentially doing triage on these problem visits and then bringing the, they're the gatekeeper that brings the REI in when there's the most complicated cases. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we can manage it, but I would definitely consult. Like if I feel like this is what it is, if it is an ectopic pregnancy, I'm not going to be the one doing the surgery on that ectopic pregnancy. So I think it's important to absolutely bring them in. Well, I'm thinking from the REI's point of view, should they be having, if they can and have the ability to hire APPs, should they be having APPs do the problem visits to triage those cases? And then the REI comes in on those cases that the advanced provider brings them into. Sure. I, I do think it, that it, that the problem visits are going to be the most challenging. And so those are, you're going to want your more experienced APP to be managing. So it may not be until a couple of years down the road where that physician feels very comfortable knowing that that APP is more experienced and better able to triage, co-manage um, those patients. I think the day-to-day -day things like the procedures, the routine ultrasounds, absolutely, we can do those. But I think it does come down to more training and more, more senior providers. Well, let's talk about that training and how one gets to that level of seniority, because the entire reason why you and I are talking about this topic, <laughs> Tamara, why is a marketer so freaking interested in nursing operations here? It's because my job is to get a million people through IVF treatment that in the United States that need it versus the 200, 250,000 that are getting it right now. The bottleneck yeah. right now is the clinic. The bottleneck yeah. is the clinic, the lab, the doctor, and I could bring people way more patients but we're still hitting a wall. And so anything that starts to get more access that we can treat more patients with, that's what I need to learn about. So you mentioned that that 
that level of triage and seniority comes after a couple of years, what training needs to happen in order for them to get that senior level of experience? Yes, you're you're absolutely right when, you, when we talk about marketing because I think about that and and you know a bulk of revenue is from IVF, right? For reproductive practices, it's the IVF, it's the surgery, and that does need to be managed by the RE. But utilizing a nurse practitioner or an APP, I think, is a win-win if you utilize them for procedures. You're utilizing them for procedures, for ultrasound, that's going to free up your RE's time. And so that RE can be doing more of the IVF consults. And then your advanced practice providers can be doing more of the procedures and the ultrasounds. And even with the ultrasounds, I think the benefit there is that the APP as a nurse practitioner can be helping talking about their plan, can talk about their next steps, can diagnose if they perhaps they have a yeast infection and it saves nursing calls because they don't have that. The nurses don't have to do as many callbacks if the APP sees that patient. So training can be tricky and it depends on their background. So it really depends if I have a new nurse practitioner who first was an RE fertility nurse, and I have a lot of those actually in our practice, I had five of them that were fertility nurses first, and then they went on to go to school to get their master's degree in a nurse practitioner. So they have a lot of that RE experience. They're not going to take as long to train, but it, it is, it is it's, it's not as straightforward. There's not an organized program out there. And I do my best. I I developed a program in our practice just because of the number of APPs we have, but I think it's important to look at ASRM as a resource, an excellent resource utilizing the ASRM certificate course. I have them do a lot of independent study, a lot of independent study, reading FNS for fertility sterility, If it's a nurse practitioner in a small practice where it's just one doc, there's going to be a lot of one-on-one training and observing and learning those procedures. And until that physician feels comfortable that that APP can do those on on her own or he or she on their own. So if you you could build your master course, if you could create it beyond the, the, and you've done a lot with your own practice, and I think you've also done work with NPG and other groups if you could create this master course, what would the table of contents be for to bring other advanced providers up to the level that REIs will feel comfortable turning the reins over to them? So one is the basic understanding. So you're going to have a huge didactic component going through all the components of infertility. And then the second is going to be procedure. And and I think there's a lot of really good online tools now. For example, ultrasound. How do you train somebody to do an ultrasound? And there's a lot of good, there's even YouTube videos. And I have a list of good, I feel quality YouTube videos that I have my nurse practitioners watch. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of in-person courses right now. So you're really relying on online and in the office training. Yeah. And I also, I would, I have a master. So I think, I think a proceed, I think there's two components. I think there's a lot of procedures to the, to the APPs. And then I think there's a lot of the infertility uh, diagnosis and management. That's more the didactic. And that's where I lead to APPs also seeing new patients. And maybe we could chat about new patients and how they can help out with the practice as well. I would be a bad fertility doctor because I only want to take on the cases that I know are going to be successful. I only want people to say these sorts of things about me and my company, like Greg in Chicago. Our resources um, are not endless. 
And I think that with Fertility Bridge, um, there's a much deeper dive. Or Dr. Young in Iowa. I've gotten more positive feedback from patients from anything in the last 30 years of practice. Or Brad in Seattle. You have uh, multiple experts on your team and for you know a very small price to get that level of, of uh, consulting for just, just a, a couple hours uh, would be really valuable. Okay, you get the idea. So this is how we set you up so you are 100% guaranteed to be successful in your goal over time. It's not a magic wand. Until you do this, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and definitely do not get in any long-term commitments or launch initiatives. You sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic at fertilitybridge.com. You fill out your business needs profile. We establish your benchmarks and desired outcomes. Then we meet for our 90-minute consult. We provide you with business intel, revenue estimates, and a competitive overview of the field to facilitate the prioritization of your goals between your partners and leadership team. Then we have a 30-minute follow-up. We tell you exactly what you need to audit and strategize to build your plan. I'll also give you one big marketing idea that will make you say, damn, that's good. If we fail to do any of these things, we give you your money back because it's only $5.97 and because I need you to be successful because I need you to say all those really sweet things about me and my company. Maybe even a gem like this one from Holly and Dr. Hutchison from Arizona. If we didn't have Fertility Bridge, honestly, I think we would be getting close to retiring. There's no long-term commitment whatsoever, and there's a 100% money-back guarantee. Send your manager to fertilitybridge.com, have them sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic, and I will see you and your partners on Zoom. I think there's a lot of procedures to the, to the APPs, and then I think there's a lot of the infertility uh, diagnosis and management, that's more the didactic. And that's where I lead to APPs also seeing new patients. And maybe we could chat about new patients and how they can help out with the practice as well. Let's do that because <laughs> we really need to solve some of the new patient bottleneck that's happening right now. And I spoke with one of our clients today and said, is is, was that something you'd feel comfortable with letting an NP see the patients on the first visit? And he said, no. And yeah. so let's, let's have you make, uh, or at least show us the path for how it, it could be the alternative. I absolutely think there's a, there's a combination there that can definitely happen. And so I think I, I also have heard some feedback from perhaps like an OBGYN. I say, well, I'm referring to an RE. I'm referring to the specialist. Why should they, why should I refer them to you then just to see, just to see that APP? And I would say two things to that. I would say one is that we are working together with the RE. So we are collaboratively working together. And I really think that's a win-win for that patient because that patient is, not, is now getting two providers instead of one provider. And I would say that that APP, I would also encourage that APP to go out to the OBGYNs to introduce themselves, to do lunch and learns, to let them know that I've been doing this extra training. I am specialized in this and I'm working together with that physician and we are a team. And so I think that can be a really a win-win. Other ways I see it as nurse practitioners or APPs, our focus is on wellness. 
And I think a lot of patients, especially infertility patients really want a holistic approach because they're out there. They're, they're seeing naturopaths, they're seeing acupuncture, they're trying herbs. They're doing all these things on their own before they even see us. So I think an APP is, is a nice natural fit. I've seen different models and it depends on how that practice operates. And so I've seen models where the nurse practitioner does the initial intake on all new patients. So they'll do the complete um, history, physical, not doing so many physicals right now, but do the complete history, start the workup. And then the follow-up consult is done by the RE. And that saves that RE a lot of time because a lot of the front work has been done already. Those patients also convert to treatment more readily. Just you know, the when if the REI is only going to be at one of the visits, it's better to be the follow up. It's yep. just it's just what we say. I can't tell people from a clinical outcome one way or the other what they should be doing. I'm just saying the people that are in that group convert to treatment more readily. So one of the things that you talked about with regard to physician assistants and NPs being involved in this process is how they're introduced to referring providers. And that dynamic that you mentioned about referring providers is yeah. one of the big reasons that people are nervous about having not just uh, APPs, but also other physicians. Like if they hire a new doc, yeah. they're worried about pushing some of their wait list to that doc so that they can get busier faster because it's like, well... Dr. Smith referred them to me and we have that relationship. And I think that's such a mistake. And so yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about that. And I want to share just a bit about how we do it in my own firm. And I know it's not the same thing as MD referrals, but people hear me on the podcast. They see me at speaking at PCRS with the red pants or ASRM <laughs> with my haircut. And so it's like they're buying growth. But the first time that they're speaking with us, it's my, it's not just myself. It's my director of client success who ultimately is the account manager. And so if, if they are going to move forward, they're talking with her from the very beginning. And they know that once they're on the other side of this, it's like Griffin's not the one handling the account. It's this other person that came in real early, even before we decided we were definitely going to work together. And if we decide like, okay, yeah, we want to talk about this in more detail, then we bring in our project manager. And so they're even one level deeper before we ever like ink the paper that yes, this is what we're going to do together. So that transition for us has been super smooth. It ties into what you were talking about with bring the advanced provider along. What else can you do to help build that relationship with referring providers? And I'm, we have a a referring provider strategy, but I'm asking you in such a way that I want to know when did you maybe feel like a third wheel and, or how can you make sure that the advanced provider that you're promoting doesn't just feel like an add-on? Yes. Yes. Got to get out there. I, I think if you're new to a new APP to a practice, it's getting out to the OBGYNs. We utilize our marketing um, people and they're wonderful. They get these lunch and learn set up. You can do them by webinars. I think that's important to just get that face, let them get to know you and know that you're working alongside that RE. Another way. So, and then your website. 
a website is another really important tool because I find the biggest mistakes, and this is my personal opinion, but if you go to a website and it lists our providers, some practices, they only list the REs and they don't even show the faces or list the APPs or who are really working and co-managing and helping these patients. And in our practice, we don't list who's who they're in alphabetical order. And this is your team. This is your team who's working with you. And it's not, there's not this hierarchy. And that's what I love. I love about our practice. And I think that's an important message for marketing is it, you're a team. It's not one for over another. And you're providing the service together. When we do our episode on physician, I'm referring physician strategy, which I think is coming out next month. I'm going to make sure that we give a special shout out to the APPs yes. for this exact reason. So, okay. So let's say we've assuaged that concern. Yes. Now, what does the REI still need to be doing? Because Tamara, I'm thinking of my own primary care physician. I don't have a primary care physician. I of course do at the general practice that I go to. I've never once seen him. My, my provider is the nurse practitioner and has been since I was 18 years old. <laughs> and so I just view that person as my provider. People yeah. can say, well, fertility is different. REI is different. And indeed yeah. it is. So what Absolutely. does the REI really need to do still, even yes. when we have brought in our APPs? Absolutely. So we talked about different models. And so one model, like I mentioned before, is sometimes the APP does the initial assessment, the initial workup, and then the follow-up is with the RE. Another model is looking at what appointments are appropriate, perhaps for an APP. So for example, look at donor sperm. Donor sperm patients, same-sex couples, they go to an REI practice. They're not infertile, right? They may be a little, they may be subfertile because of they're using Frodo's frozen sperm, but they're not infertile. And so those are completely appropriate patient population that the APP can see, can manage. And in our practice, we sort of have a protocol, like if they're not pregnant after three attempts of this or that, then they're going to have a follow-up with one of the physicians. And so we can get that initial part done and most will get pregnant, right? In those initial cycles. So and if they're not getting pregnant or they need higher tech, and I think once we're getting higher tech, where we're talking the use of daily gonadotropins, or we're talking getting ready for IVF, then absolutely that those need to see that REI. I think another good patient population can be egg freeze patients. And so, and this can be tricky. I think you're going to need a more experienced APP to see those patients, but in our practice, the APP see a lot of the new egg freezing patients for two reasons. One, again, they're not infertile. Two, they need a lot of education. And that's what APPs are great at providing education and really talking about what's their family building strategy. What's their goal? What do they want to do in the future? And we have that time to really dive into those discussions. And then what we do in our practice is the APP does a bulk of that work, does all that management. And let's say if I see somebody and she has low diminished ovarian reserve, that was surprising, or she's older, I'll do the bulk of the work, but then they get a free 30 minute follow-up with a physician with an RE. So making sure they have those touch points. So that patient feels like they, again, they have this team working for them. And so I think that's a, another good population. Why do you say the APP should be a more experienced one if they're 
partly managing the fertility preservation program? I think an APP to be more experienced to just to know outcomes and really understand outcomes from egg thaw, how many eggs, the age of the patient, things that could go wrong. And so I, I, I would, I would have them more experienced perhaps starting with egg donors, working with the egg donor population for maybe six months, eight months. So they really get a, a, a good feel of how a stimulation cycle goes, how the response goes, because you need to be able to answer questions. Why am I not responding the way? Why did I have 11 follicles at my baseline? And now I only have four follicles and to really, um, have that understanding of the IVF and the cycles and how that works, I think may, may mean more time and experience. When did you see the role of the APP start to open up beyond just the third party coordinator role? When did you start to see REIs giving more of that work scope to the APP? Was it five years ago or longer? When did this really start to take off? I think you nailed it. I, I kind of want to say five years ago. I think so too, right? I mean, I've only been here for seven years, so I, so I can't really say, but it didn't yeah. seem like it was that way in the beginning. It seemed no. like there was a lot more people poo-pooing it. And I, to me, it seems like even in the last, really like since this boom post COVID is taking it to another level, like absolutely. maybe five years ago, this really started more people were doing it started to be a little bit more accepted. There were still some people that said, no, we're not going to do that. And then, you know, this boom that has not gone away since last June yeah. has forced people to revisit it. That's what it seems like to me. What do you see happening? I, I absolutely agree. I think in the last five years, I think the volume has pushed it. I think they're, they're busy and their, they, their schedule is so full and they don't have time to do procedures. And then when they see that the APD can do that, they're like, that's great. Or, or the problem visits or these new patient consults, like donor sperm, they're like, yes, see them because I need to do my IVF patients. Those take more time. Those are more problematic recurrent pregnancy loss. Those that are, you know, really take a long Longer. They're more, much more high complex cycles where we can take, we can help and take some of those other cycle management off. Another thing that happened because of COVID, I'll just comment on is we had that brief slowdown period. But when we, we did have that brief slowdown period in our practice in SRM, we developed a PCOS wellness program. And you think of PCOS, PCOS is huge. It affects one out of 10 women and it's huge. And REs do not have time in that consult, that initial consult to talk about infertility and then all the things that encompass PCOS. PCOS is life, has, it's, we could do a whole day talking about PCOS, right? And so this PCOS program really now focuses on education, the diagnosis and managing symptoms and treatment of symptoms that the APP can do. So now- here, the our physicians were like, yes, have it, go, 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 because they don't have the time. So we're doing those consults, we're seeing those patients. And if they need to do IVF, then we're co-managing again, we're there helping them manage lifestyle, obesity, insulin resistance, we're helping that. And then the RE is doing the IVF portion of it. So it's working. It's great. It's taken off. It is taking off. It, well, with the example that you gave with your group, but it's also taking off that AVVs are certainly expanding to their scope within the REI world in a way that we hadn't seen five years ago. I could see the pendulum swinging the other way. And people saying, okay, we've got so many darn cases coming in and now New York's a mandated state. And now 
Progeny's just landed 10 <laughs> more companies. And so 800,000 more people in the state are insured, what have you. And I could see us or people just adding advanced providers and and maybe not doing so in a way that's systematic. What problems could come from just doing this too quickly? You're going to, I think, patient satisfaction, right? If you throw somebody in there, there was one nurse practitioner on one of the comments that she made in our survey, and she said she went to the sink and swim university. And I think if you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure and that nurse practitioner is going to leave. You're going to invest time and money to train them. And, and if they're not feeling satisfied or they're thrown in there and they're not getting a nice balance of maybe doing procedures and new patient visits, but feeling comfortable and feeling educated and supported in that role, they're going to leave. So, yeah, I think you could set yourself up for failure if you don't invest in time to truly train and educate these APPs and then check in on them. How are they doing? Are you utilizing them to the skills that they're capable of? Do they want to do more or do they want to do less? Do they have a particular interest? So for example, we had an APP who really wanted to work with male infertility. So we hooked her up with a urologist and it was a perfect fit. So could there be a role in, in your practice for that? And so, yeah, I think, I think you really, you have to invest and you have to do it right, but you can't go too fast. When you check in on them, how are you evaluating your APPs? So for me, I, we, we, several ways. One is we have kind of like, you can call it any time, right? Or it's a question of the day. Then we have routine meetings. So routine meetings quarterly, and those are like a two hour meeting where we could go through our topics. We have reviews twice a year where we sit down and have a formal review. We have peer-to-peer reviews, and so checking in, seeing how they're doing on their patients. I check in with the physicians, so all of my APPs have a physician mentor. I think that's really important as well, and because that mentor is going to be my resource to check in to see how that APP is doing. Has there been any patient complaints? Has there been any grievances? And that's important as well. And if there is, let's go back. Like, was there a mistake on a procedure? Was there a hiccup? Or if there was, let's readjust it. Do we need to do more training and really have a a process for training? So it's not watch one, do one, see, what does it say? What is it? Watch one, see one, see one, do one, teach one, one, right? Yeah. No, you can't do that. You need to have a process. Give us some tips for recruiting nurse practitioners, because I, I could see this getting even more competitive than it is now. They're easier to recruit than REIs simply because there's only 40, 44 fellows a year. They're just by numbers, there's more nurse practitioners, but it's not like they're so easy to get either. And so what's the best ways for recruiting and retaining them? That's a challenge. It can go both ways. So I'm going to share my experience. I've had new grads And so you could go to schools and try to get a new grad. The tricky part about that is if they have no women's health background or OBGYN experience in their background, you don't get reproductive medicine in your training, not so much, right? So it's very focused. Unless you are a women's health nurse practitioner, you're going to be focused in on women's health. But if you are a family nurse practitioner, you're getting everything. And so it's then diving down. And if you get a new grad, it may not be what they thought it was going to be. 
And so I would then, if it's a new grad, I would have them maybe do a, a day where they follow you just to watch, see what's involved with that role before hiring them to see if this is really something that they're interested in. As a, think, not as a means of training them, but just as a means of them self-screening. Like, it, yes. do I want to get into this yes. or do I want to run for the health? Yes, exactly. Yes. I had a nursing student come in to, just to watch me for just a couple hours and she passed out on the floor within the second patient. <laughs> I was like, well, you not really you. maybe this not want to be a nurse. <laughs> going to be for you. <laughs> so absolutely. The other thing I would look at is OBGYN practices. Now this can be tricky uh, too, because you don't want to, but it, it, it's not so easy getting APPs. It, it, it's, I think it's a tight market everywhere and right. we're struggling with medical assistants. We're struggling with nurses. We're struggling with APPs. So it's not that easy. You need to be competitive with your salary. And it, and I think like I said before, there might, there needs to be some in like observation first before you invest the time and money for training and hiring. I suspect that matching of interest that you mentioned for the one example that you gave would be a recruiting advantage as well, because to a certain degree, depending on what market you're in, you may or may not be able to go to the top of the market for the salary that people are getting. If there's a lot of demand and you're in LA, for example, you might just not be able to do it if you're a smaller practice. Yeah. But if you can say, okay, we have a, a few APPs and this individual wants to, I'm putting subspecialized in air quotes, but in male infertility, we should be able to give them that trajectory. I suspect that that's one way when you can allow somebody to pursue the academic pursuit that they want that gives you a little bit of an edge when you can't make up for it in material benefits. Yeah. Another thing that we've done in our practice, we have a yearly conference this year was online, but we do an outreach to the OBGYN community where we educate and train. And a lot of the program development of many of speakers are our APPs. And so it's fun for a way to introduce what the role is and what is involved for people that have no idea. They may come out of school and they have no idea um, that this even exists as an opportunity. You talked a bit about what REIs can understand better and more deeply about APPs. And now I want to flip it and uh, giving you this seat to flip it because I also want to make you blush a little bit because oh, I'm not going to say who it was, but one person once said about you, they said that there's a handful of advanced providers in the field that the physicians look to as peers and Tamara is one of them. Aww. And so I'm going to let you flip the script and say, what is it that APPs need to better understand about the REIs and what they're going through? I think for me, for maybe for me, I just had such a passion. I've always had such a passion in the field and wanting to advance and grow and learn and just take it in another step further. And I think I've had REs reach out to me actually and say, Tamara, I want to hire an, an NP. How do I do it? How do I even start? And I'm happy to share my orientation checklists, my protocols. I have so many protocols and SOPs and what I feel is reasonable for an APP, but understanding the boundaries too, because we're not an REI and I never, ever want to even 
I mean, that is such a specialty and I have the utmost respect for all of our physicians. And I feel like I am there to help, to help these patients and sometimes to help them and move them along that those, their journey, right? You've given us so much to consider with how we bring APPs into the REI practice. How do you want to conclude for our audience, Tamara? Love the APPs. <laughs> um, utilize us where we, I think the nurse practitioners, especially nurse practitioners who have our, we have nursing background for the foremost and that, that nursing component that, that teaching in us, the wellness, being a coach, being an advocate, providing that empathy for patients. If they can see how we will work together with you, we are not out here to take patients over or anything like that. I would say, I, I, especially in our practice, I see such a, a love for our APPs now and really looking at how we help grow the practice and we can help increase the revenue in the practice and we can free up time for our REs who really need to be doing all those complex cases and those that patient management. And give people like me, marketers like me, some place to send all these patients to. So <laughs> God love you. Tamara Tobias, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you, Griffin. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.